John. John. Okay, for real. So I know on your thing it says Brian Cuttingham. He got sick, right? Is that what happened? I don't know. What Something happened. I think he might have gotten sick. So Carrie was driving through Nashville, Murfreesboro era, area, and was having lunch with this guy when he got the call, and then things just kind of uh, uh, aligned, and John stepped up to the plate. And last minute, literally like three days ago, he was like, hey, I'm going to teach this class. And so he's here. Um, he has one of the best hearts of any man that I've ever met. So please give him your full and undivided attention. Um, he's an amazing man, amazing disciple. Um, yeah, and I, I hope I didn't oversell him. No, you didn't. All right, so here's okay. the deal. Yeah, I'll just jump in. So here's the deal. He said a lot of nice things, but the reality is they chose me to teach this class because nobody knows more about fear than me. So there you go. I've been scared my whole life. So, Hey, but the cool thing is this Bible, this book, whether it's on your phone or you actually have a book, this is filled with people who experience fear, who are afraid at some point in their life. And so what we're going to do today is just kind of... Um, just explore uh, how did they find themselves living inside God's story and how did their fear, how did they overcome their fear? So we're going to start uh, with Israel. Uh, Y'all know the story. They had endured slavery for hundreds of years in Egypt, right? So they had witnessed these incredible things, these 10 plagues that God used to convince the Pharaoh it's time to let his people go. They had seen God part the Red Sea in so many miraculous, amazing things. The uh, the uh, pillar of fire, the pillar of uh, the, the cloud that led them. They were provided water and manna while they were in the desert. So God was taking care of everything that they needed. They stood on the border and they're literally looking in to the promised land. And so they choose some of their leaders. They send them in to this land that they have been dreaming of. And they lost their dream. I'll remind you of what it says in Numbers 14. So the spies come back and they gave this account to Moses. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. It is everything that we had dreamed of. But the people who live there are powerful. Uh, their cities are fortifi fortified and they are very large. Here it comes. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And this last verse is just so striking. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. So they're standing at the border, looking at the place that they had dreamed of, the land that was promised to them, the land uh, that was chosen just for them by God. And their fear wouldn't let them go in. So because of that fear, they missed their dreams. Not one of those people other than the two spies that said we can do this. None of them got to go into the promised land. Eventually their kids did. But I don't think I have to convince anybody in here that fear is a real thing. And that fear, it does. It robs us of our dreams. It robs us of our joy. And really it robs us of our potential. So what we're going to explore in this class is how do we overcome our fears and by doing that uh, fulfill uh, the God-given dream or our God-given purpose. So I'm going to go ahead and give you my thesis so that you have it because sometimes I can ramble around and if you get nothing out of this morning other than this, this is the, this is the thing worth writing down. Know this, fear lives in our story, but it does not live in God's story. Fear lives in our story, but it does not live in God's story. So our challenge in our time together this morning is to figure out how do we live 
in God's story. Because know this, God knows no fear. Period. We do. He does not. All right. So let's talk about fear for a little bit. This is a class, so um, I, I want this to be the, the, the part where you guys actually uh, do uh, shout out loud so we can pick it up on the, uh, on the uh, recording stuff down here. But we're going to talk about phobias. Phobias are fears crazy cousin, I guess. And so phobias are these irrational fears or aversion to something. And so I am just a little bit curious. Who's got a, a really interesting phobia or some weird phobia? Let's just figure out who's got the weirdest one. Yes, sir. All right, spiders. That's, that, yeah, those are that's pretty common. Yeah, he's, he said it's totally rational to be scared of spiders. Yeah, hey, you're right. All right, go ahead. Uh, I'm scared of paper. You're scared of paper. Okay, I'm we got to dig deeper on that one. I got a lot of paper cuts as a kid. So, like, every time I touch paper, I'm always like a little, like, empty when I'm going to turn the page of the book. Okay, so at least it's legit. And I'm, I'm coming to you, TC, but hang on. I, I have to tell uh, just a quick fear that you reminded me of. If I go up to a dumpster, you know how they have those sliding kind of metal doors you kind of get, throw your stuff in? Um, I kind of have a phobia because one time uh, when I was younger, I was living with my mom. I go out to carry the garbage out. It's like after midnight. It's really late. And I, and I pull the door open, and this cat just went. I scared it, right? So it just, all claws, just dove right at me. So to this day, if I go to a dumpster, I will not go like this. I'll stand to the side and pull it because it's a total phobia at this point. All right, you had one, TC? Leeches. Never seen one in my life. Will you stand by me? All right. All right, man. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Hey, man, you're surrounded by a lot of people that share that fear with you. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. All right, back row, uh, uh, you. Of getting in trouble? Okay. All right. Yeah, I had a nephew. You don't have to move your card when you get in trouble at school. Some of the teachers do this thing where you move your card from the good side to the bad side. He just went up at the beginning of the day. He picked up his card and moved it. The teacher said, what are you doing? She goes, he goes, we both know I'm going to move it before the end of the day anyway. All right? So let's just go ahead and worry about it. Yes, sir. Of deep water? Ooh, oh, yeah. I'm going to have a little story later. Yeah, yeah, that, that's where all the bad things are, is where you can't start. Just a couple more, though, for time. Yes, sir. Fear of all the new technologies coming out. Do what? Of all the new technology that's coming out. Uh, yeah. Like all those androids and AI stuff. Hey, trust me, I'm an old guy, so I have a tremendous fear of all the new technology coming out. That's what he said. Phones all right, are right well, Y'all have so many. Well, I just go fast. Keep going. Quicksand. My daughter grew up with a fear of quicksand. Uh, fear of windows in the night. Windows in the night? Okay, I could, I'd love to hear more about it. Go ahead. Fear of um, doubt. Doubt? Yeah. Fear of people here. All right. Abandonment, that's real. Okay, do you know what that's called? There's a name for it. Yeah, it's symbolic. It's globophobia. It's a fear of balloons. All right, being judged by others? A fear of being high on. Okay, yeah, so is it kind of heights or is it just unstable? Heights, no, but if I know what I'm saying, I'm unstable. Yes. All right, just these three. All right, we'll do these four. That's all we can do. I got Open places. Open places? Uh, fear of needles. Needles. Okay, back to your thing. You know, there's claustrophobia. Open I don't spaces. know what open spaces is. Yeah, like, it's just like, if I'm in an open space, especially by myself, I feel like something behind me. I can see it. Yeah. All right. Hey, right. Knives. Yeah, can you? Okay, one more. Buried alive. 
Okay. All right, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay to be scared of that, I think. All right, all right, so here you go. I, I did want to share just a couple of weird phobias. I mean, you heard a lot, a lot that we share in common. There's fear of heights, fear of flying, uh, fear of failure, uh, fear of spiders. My wife has that one. Here's, a, here's just a couple of weird, weird ones that I just uh, found. Uh, nomophobia. Anybody know what that is? Nomophobia. It's a fear of being somewhere without your cell phone. We may all have that one, right? Uh, let's see. Lobophobia was a fear of balloons. Phobophobia, a fear of phobias. Kind of cool. And this, somebody just had to seriously make this up. I'll try to say it. Hippopotamonstrosis phobia is a fear of long words. So I, I kind of feel like somebody, I kind of feel like somebody did that. You know, a lot of our fears, though, guys, um, I think one thing they have in common is this feeling that we have a lack of control. Um, it, it's a real us kind of focused thing. Uh, fear is. Um, it's real. Um, there are a lot of things that are beyond our control. Um, so fear, uh, if you're, again, if you're writing things down, fear usually corresponds to a lack of control on our part. For example, I used to have a fear of flying, essentially because I don't know how to fly a plane. So I have to trust that somebody else knows how to fly a plane, right? At some point, I just got to let go of that and just say, okay, the pilot, they know what they're doing, okay? Um, when it comes to heights, uh, somebody over here mentioned, my fear there is just ruining the fact that I literally can't fly. You know, so if, if I'm going, I'm going. And uh, that, that fear of falling or that fear of heights thing, I think that is the ultimate uh, lack of control type fear. Um, can't control the weather. It's beyond my control. Not a thing I can do about it. If the tornado happens, if it comes down my street, there is not one thing I can do about it. Uh, here's a big one. And I, and I want us to, to yeah, write this one down. We have this big fear. It's related to control. I can't control what other people do or what other people think. Yeah. That's just a fact. You can't. And I think if you, if you just embrace the fact that you cannot control what other people do or think, that's, that's going to help you in a million different situations in life. Uh, I'm a part of Celebrate Recovery, and in recovery we pray, uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I tell people in recovery, if you can get that sentence down, you can pretty well skip the rest of Celebrate Recovery. I'm going to say it one more time. Y'all heard it. It's the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All right, guys, um, the Bible, whether, again, it's on your phone or in your hands, um, is filled with people who are afraid. Um, and, you know, the, there is some version of the phrase do not be afraid or fear not. Y'all recall that from different times in Scripture. It's kind of cool. I hope this is actually accurate, but one of the notes I saw was uh, that phrase appears 365 times in the Bible. So that means God has given us a daily reminder that he is bigger than our fears. So there is a, there's a do not be afraid for every day of the year in Scripture. So what I want to do is look at a few of the people who uh, we know experienced fear and just kind of dig into their story enough to see how God uh, helped them past their fear. And we're going to start with Moses. We already did the, the Israel story as we, as we started. 
Uh, you know, Moses at the burning bush, he gets uh, called to lead the people out of Egypt. And in that story, there's actually a couple of kinds of fear. If you want to just jump there in your Bibles now, it's in Exodus 3 and 4 is where I'm going to be. And in those two chapters, we actually see two kinds of fear. And one of them is really helpful. And the other one, well, it's just fear. All right, so I'll read uh, in Exodus 3, I'm going to read verses 5 and 6. God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Guys, this is a really, really healthy fear. Awe and respect helps us overcome our own fear, right? And our awe and respect and knowledge of God, well, that's going to be the key for whatever fears we talk about as we go along. That's the key for overcoming fear. Now, there is a second kind of fear in the passage, maybe one that we're uh, equally as familiar with. Uh, So verses 11 and 12 and 3 says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, he has the answer, I will be with you. I think that is the story for a lot of us when we come to God. Uh, We ask that question, who am I that I could actually be part of God's story? Um, I kind of find myself praying some version of that a lot. Like, Lord, just thank you for letting me be a part of this cool thing that you're doing. Um, Thank you that we get to be a part of this family vacation story. Um, Thank you that we get to have these friends. Who am I? That, God, you would bless me with such a neat group to get to be with and to live life with and to encourage each other. Um, This feeling of being unworthy, well, it might be true. I think I I probably am unworthy uh, to get to do most of the things that God has let me do. But that's the cool part of the story. God lets me do it anyway. And God invites me into his story. So when you have those moments or feelings where you think, who am I? Uh, Well, who are you not? You know, you're a child of God. That's who you are. And we'll get to that again in just a moment. Um, so, uh, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your Lord, uh, pardon, uh, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. I've never in, uh, in the past, uh, neither in the past nor since have, excuse me, I have never been, I, can, I cannot read my own typewriting. How about that? Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave, the Lord said, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives sight uh, or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. So it is reassuring to know that whatever we're being called to do, God's going to do it with us. In a lot of cases, he's going to do it for us. He's going to do the heavy lifting. You know, I love uh, the Matthew 28. Uh, You know, for those of us who are in disciple-making churches and part of disciple-making groups, you know, Matthew 28, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given uh, to me. Now go and make disciples and so forth. And the last phrase is, and lo, I will be with you always. We don't do any of these things alone. So that's reassuring as we think about fear. I want to give a bit of a personal testimony here as we think about who am I and and why am I getting to do this. Uh, Most of my life in ministry, 
um, has been as a worship minister. I've been worship minister for several churches around the country, and every time I would move, I would go to a bigger and a bigger church, and, and it was really cool and always hard to say no when some bigger church says, hey, we want you to come be our worship minister. I just had one big problem. I didn't think I sang very well. Um, it was a real struggle, and I was usually, because we used praise teams and stuff, and, and everybody else in the praise team was like such a better singer than I, I perceived myself to be. And so it really got to where uh, I ended up at a really big church, you know, a couple thousand people, and I'm the worship minister, and I'm standing there on the stage, and I'm looking at all the empty seats, you know, before my first day on the job, and I'm like, God, how big is this embarrassment going to get? I can't sing. And then it occurred to me, and this is in this, so when you have a feeling like that, I want you to know this. It's because it never was about my story. It was never about my singing. It was never about me as a song leader. It was always about God, what God could accomplish in spite of my limitations. Okay, so all my fear was really pretty irrelevant because God was doing something even, even cooler. So let's do a who am I question. Who am I to mock what God is doing? If God wants this to happen, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to stand here in front of a couple of thousand people and, and I'm going to be who I think God has called me to be. I'm going to lead these people in worship. And it's been a really cool blessing. So I think there's this giving up to God's story, just saying, you know what? My story stinks. You know what? There is fear in my story. But again, there's not fear in God's story. So maybe God's calling you to something like that. Um, in my story, I can't sing. But in God's story, well, I guess I'm a decent worship minister. Got to be one for a long time. All right, let's do another character. That was Moses. Let's talk about Gideon, uh, who we heard about last night. And Adam, I think it was Adam, he did a great job using the Judges 6 and 7 story about Gideon. So Gideon's the warrior judge. Um, God calls Gideon to lead his people against the Midianites. As we were told last night, the Midianites are these plundering people. They're taking all the crops. Uh, they're, uh, they're literally uh, scaring the Israelites so much that the Israelites are starting to live in caves just to get away from the Midianites. Um, all of their uh, livestock are being consumed and stolen by the Midianites. So God's people are being oppressed by these Midianites. And so Gideon, uh, God calls Gideon, and he has the same response that most of us would have. Who am I? Uh, I am, and the way he says it in Judges 6, 15 and 16, uh, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. So I'm the least of the least. So why are you asking me, God, to lead the people against the Midianites? And again, God gives the same answer he seems to always give, which is it doesn't really matter about you because I will be with you. This is about what I'm going to do. Dude, if you want to play along, if you want to be in the coolest story, as some have said, the greatest story ever told, stop focusing on yourself. Focus on what I can do and focus what I'm trying to get done through you and enjoy the ride. Okay? So uh, Gideon is a lot like Moses. He asked for a bunch of signs. You know, we all have that fear. We, want, we just want to have some kind of confirmation uh, that we're... Uh, that we're hearing the right voices. And again, we'll get to that in just a moment in uh, Judges 6, verse 17. Uh, Gideon says, If I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign 
that it's really you talking to me. So uh, if you're familiar with the Gideon story, if you're here last night, you are. Uh, there's this a moment where God uh, consumes the sacrifice that Gideon has put out. And then he does that thing with the fleece where one day he sets it out and he wants it to be dry and the ground be wet. And the next day it be wet and the ground be dry or vice versa. I'm not sure if I got that in the right way. Um, so God gives him these confirmations. Um, but it's interesting that story, a strange thing happens, and if we had time, we could read all the way through it. If you're looking at it in your Bible, maybe you can already see this. When the story starts, it's the angel of the Lord who is talking to Gideon. And as the story moves along, in your Bible, you'll see it. The language changes, and it's not the angel of the Lord, it's the Lord. And it's even written in that special way with the all caps, where it's, it's, it's the special name of God. So it goes from being the angel of the Lord that he's having this conversation with to literally God himself that he's having this conversation with. Now, some theologian can probably walk us through that. That's not my point, but it does bring up the question, how do we know who's talking to us? As we're thinking about this idea of being called by God or being invited into God's story in some really cool way, how in the world do we discern between the voices that we may be hearing? Because certainly we can hear voices that will take us into some pretty bad places as well. And so I guess I want to offer you just a few thoughts. There's uh, four of them. Um, and this is answering the question, how do we know that we're listening to the right voice? And now, this is my four. This, uh, I'm sure anybody else would come up with a, maybe a different four or a better ten or whatever. But these are my four. Um, how do we know if we're listening to the right voice? I want to start with the idea that you should ask trusted, godly people. Share your story. Share what you're hearing with somebody else, and they'll help you figure out if, um, if, if, this, is the direct, if this direction is from God. Uh, you know, I think that is ultimately what discipleship is all about. We, all, we think a lot about the evangelistic part of discipleship, and that's a really important part. And one that maybe we experience fear as we think about that. But, you know, you're in this, this crowd that we're all going to encourage each other on that discipleship side. But then there's also just this mentoring and growing side to discipleship. And so we're all being, we're all mentoring or being mentored by someone, by trusted, godly people. And I like to think of it this way. I think every 20-year-old or 20-something needs a 30-year-old, no, I'm sorry, every 20-year-old needs a 40-year-old to help them become a more godly 30-year-old. Right, so I'm pretty old by now, I'm 57, and I can tell you for a fact, I needed, when I was early in my 50s, I need a 70-year-old to help this 50-something-year-old prepare to become a 60-year-old that God could use. So as you think about discipleship and mentorship, yeah, definitely think about the evangelistic side. God's called every one of us to be a disciple maker. But don't forget that you need to have those relationships in your life, not only that you're pouring into, but somebody who's pouring into your life as well. Because these are vital. If we're going to discern the voices that we're hearing, we've got to decide, is this from God or is it not? All right, so that's first principle. Um, ask, a ask other trusted godly people. Number two. Um, how are we going to discern where this voice is coming from? First, understand that God will never lead you to something that is inconsistent with Scripture. God's not going to, you know, we have the revelation of God. I think God uh, uh, affects our walk every day. 
But that walk will never be inconsistent with what he's already given, given us in Scripture. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Even if we, meaning himself and his colleagues, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one that we've already preached to you, let them be under God's curse. If, if you feel this call from God, and then you open up his word and you see something that seems to be in conflict with, with what you feel like you're being called to do, you're the one who's wrong. Or I, I'm, not, I'm pointing to me too when I say that. I mean, it's just a great test. It's going to be consistent with what we already know about God. Um, and it will certainly not uh, violate anything that God has already called us to. All right, so number three, how are we discerning voices? This, this may be personal. There, there could be exceptions to this. But I would say this. God, godly dreams are almost always focused on others. Ultimately. Uh, Mark 10, 45 says it this way. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Even God Himself, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Um, yeah, that voice you hear, if, it's, if, it's, if it feels pretty self-serving, it probably is, and it's probably not from God. Okay? All right, and here's a big one. I would say this is a big one for college students, because I know the temptations that you guys are under, but as a 57-year-old man, I'm going to say this is one we all share. But um, th this is a, just a real practical one. Uh, be sober-minded. If you want to hear the voice of God, be sober-minded. And I'll just say it this way. Um, if you've fallen into that trap of doing a lot of drinking, or in my case, through a stretch in my life, uh, using it as part of your go-to-sleep plan, drinking a little something before bedtime each night, telling yourself, ah, it just helps me sleep a little better. Let me tell you this. As you go to sleep, you're going to hear voices, and they are not from God. They're going to make you bitter. They're going to make you angry. They're going to make you say things to the people you love the most that are hurtful. Um, and you're going to think you're the smartest guy in the room the whole time, or gal in the room. When you drink, you feel pretty brilliant. And, you know, I've, I may not have seen you guys that way, but I've seen a lot of people, and I've seen myself that way. You think you're brilliant, and that every word coming out of your mouth is special. It is not. You are foolish, and you sound like an idiot. All right? But I just want to tell you, be sober-minded. It is no... Uh, coincidence as uh, Chip used this verse earlier in Ephesians 5 18 Paul says do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit here's the deal it's a choice I don't think we get to be filled with wine and be filled with the spirit of God at the same time I think when we're filled with wine uh, there's no room for the spirit of God in, in a person who's, who's you know I don't think it's a mystery that they call whiskey, bourbon, other things. They call them spirits, right? Um, I, you know, I, I guess I could, could have dug into that a little bit, but there's no mystery that uh, why they would uh, call it a spirit because you definitely are going to hear a voice whispering in your ear. And just again, it's not the voice of God, guys. So um, you might want to underline that one. Um, we all should. Hey, let me do one more character. So we've done uh, Gideon, and we've talked about listening to the voices of God. We've done Moses, and we've talked about who are you not to be part of God's story. And let's uh, talk about Peter just a little bit. So we're in the New Testament now, and as you may recall, at the Last Supper, uh, I think I got this uh, particular verse from Mark uh, 14, somewhere there. 
At Last Supper, Jesus predicted that everybody's going to betray him. He's, he's headed to the, the cross in the next few days, and he is predicting that everybody's going to betray him. And then Peter, as he often does, he protests. He says, uh, even if all fall away, I will not. And then Jesus says, truly I tell you, uh, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And Peter went a little further, and he emphatically said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Uh, but we know uh, the rest of that particular story, or, or maybe you know the rest of that story. Everything Jesus said happened. So Peter was challenged by different people. Hey, aren't you a Galilean? Aren't you uh, the one that was with this Jesus after he'd been arrested in the garden? He's like, I don't even know the man. I don't know him. And then, of course, he hears the, the rooster crow for that second time, and it hits him like a ton of bricks. Wow, I just betrayed Jesus. Now, keep in mind, Peter had seen some pretty awesome miracles. Peter had seen Jesus feed 5,000 people. Jesus, uh, Peter had seen, oh, I don't know, pick your miracle. He had seen literally Jesus raise people from the dead. Um, he had seen all of those miracles. So, um, you know, he had an advantage maybe even over us. He had literally seen these things happen. Yet in his fear, which it had to be what it was, when they said, aren't you the Galilean? Aren't you the one that knew Jesus. It has to be fear in that moment. Self-preservation that says, no, 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 no. You got the wrong guy. It wasn't me. He's, he's just doing what a lot of us would do in those fearful moments. Again, what are we doing? We have become very self-focused in our most fearful moments. I don't tell you that to shame you when you are afraid. I just tell you that so you'll be aware that in our fearful moments, we're, we're focused on ourselves. Um, by the way, I'll just throw this in extra. Um, uh, in recovery, uh, when we get uh, focused on our addictions, um, the best advice I've ever had is, first, figure out some way to serve somebody else because understand your addictions. Are you thinking about what you want and what you need? Uh, and if you can't do that, just go pick up a garbage bag and start walking up the street picking up garbage because that's a way for you to serve other people and it's a way to get, th get out of your head. So I guess I would say that when we're most afraid, think about, I, I know when I was really scared of flying, which is funny because I fly like twice a month now, uh, but there was a time in my life where I was terribly scared of flying. Um, I remember what my prayer has beca became over time. It was, Lord, uh, let me reassure somebody else on this next flight. Let me be the guy that says, uh, don't worry about it, it's gonna be okay. Um, and yeah, which is a scary prayer because it seems like God gives you an extra bumpy flight just so you can be nice to the person sitting next to you. So you may want to pray that prayer. Okay, but we know in Peter's case, all of those fears came true. But it's not the end of the story for all the people we talked about. Even though they experienced fear, we know that Moses, God used Moses to build a nation. Uh, we know that God used Gideon to free his people from the Midianites. And we know that God used people, uh, Peter along with a bunch of other folks to build his church of which we are a part of now, and we are sitting in this room because of the good work that God, uh, Jesus' work that he continued through Peter and others. So God overcame their fear, not because of them, but in spite of them. And he used them in spite of their limitations. And the same applies for you and me. Uh, don't feel ashamed when you're afraid. Just figure out how to take it to God. We're going to tackle some of that here in just a minute. In each case of the people we've talked about, and maybe in your case as well, it's your fear of God, your awe and respect for God 
that helped you overcome those personal fears. Now, I've mentioned shame a couple of times, and I know there are other uh, sessions on this, but I want to just quickly walk through this thought about guilt and shame. Because, again, in recovery, we talk a lot about guilt and shame. Now, make sure you understand the difference between guilt and shame. We all feel guilt when we fail, um, and that's okay. Uh, because guilt uh, says to you, uh, you've made a mistake, you need to go make amends or correct this mistake. And that's good. That, that happens to all of us, and it should happen in your life. Feeling guilt is not a bad thing. Act on your guilt and do what your guilt is leading you to do. Shame is a completely different animal. Uh, shame says you are no good and you can never make it right. And that is the voice that you hear uh, that's from Satan. That's, that's the evil voice. Because we need to remind ourselves exactly who we are. We are not a liar. We are not a drunk. We're not an addict. We're not a betrayer. We may have done every one of those things, but those are just things to be dealt with. You are a follower of Jesus and you are a child of God. That is your identity. So shame is an identity issue. You know, uh, David, uh, in the Old Testament, King David, uh, he killed a man just to get his wife. That's pretty awful. I don't even know anybody that awful. I mean, maybe in the news I've seen it, but I don't personally know anybody as awful as David has described, yet he becomes a man after God's own heart, which is insane that, that the, God, the Bible would ever describe him that way. But that's who David is. It's because in, he didn't let his shame get the best of him. He dealt with his guilt, right? Um, same with Paul. Paul literally held the coats of people who were stoning your brothers and sisters. Um, how in the world does he become the greatest Christian missionary who ever lived? It's because he folded his story into God's story and let God take away his guilt. All right, so in our remaining time, uh, how do we, as followers of Jesus, allow God to overcome our fear? And if you were in Chip's class, I really enjoyed it because I realized, wow, uh, we, we share a lot of uh, our thoughts on these things in common, which I think is good. It made me think, well, maybe this is right. All right, how do we, as followers of Jesus, allow God to overcome our fear? So again, if you're taking notes, here's a few bullet points. First, acknowledge your fear. It's a very healthy thing to admit that you were powerless to control a certain situation. Once you have admitted that you are powerless to control it, then you can give it to God. In recovery, again, we call that stepping out of denial. Um, just a quick story. Um, I actually did. I probably don't look like a guy that would do this, but I actually did the Ironman that they had here back in November. Uh, somebody mentioned deep water. Who mentioned deep water? Who mentioned, yeah, there's your fear. Okay, when, when you do an Ironman, you have to swim, and the way they do it here is you go out over back in, and in this case, you had to do that twice, okay? Um, as you're swimming out, it's really cool because, you know, you're, you're doing the thing you've been training for, right? And you look and you're like, oh, there's a, there's a shell. You know, there's a sand dollar. Wow, that's perfect. Not even chip. Oh, there's a crab. Isn't that really cool? And all of a sudden, it goes pitch dark underneath you. And you realize, okay, that's where the scary stuff lives down there. And so you're kind of in that moment because you're going to be in that for like half an hour before you get out of that. So you're going to do a good chunk of this race where you don't know what's underneath you. And there's really nothing else you can do, but you have to give that to God. I cannot control if there's anything under there. By the way, when I was telling people I was going to do that race, it was funny. People would say, well, aren't you scared of sharks? And I wasn't until about 100 people said, hey, aren't you scared of sharks? Um, and so finally I Googled it. And you would like to think that in the whole history of Ironman races that no one had ever been attacked by a shark, but you would be wrong. There is one, 
but it was in Austra Australia, and I assume Australia is just surrounded by sharks, so they, they had it coming, they knew what they were getting into, but it has actually happened. But the point is, I can't deny that I was afraid, but I literally, I don't know if I was, it was audible because I was swimming, but in my mind, I just literally, I gave that moment to God. There is nothing I can do. If, if there's a shark in a, get me, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. It doesn't, it won't matter if I worry about it or not. It's gonna happen. So step out of our denial. Acknowledge that, yeah, I'm afraid, and then talk to God about that and watch the amazing things He does with your fear. All right, number two, recognize that you are not alone. Recognize that you are not alone. Um, you know, no one goes to a haunted house by themselves. Or if you do, you are weird. If you go to a haunted house by yourself. The fun of going to a haunted house is just, it's just that social piece of it and stuff. But, but, you know, the fact that you're in a group, you know, makes things that we're scared of or that might scare us, uh, let, makes us less afraid. The fact that we're not in things by ourselves. Um, there was a, we have blackberry bushes that grow along uh, the back part of our yard, and it's really cool because a couple months, well, about six weeks a year, we can go out there and, and pick blackberries. But there was this, my wife is right there, um, she was picking blackberries, and there was just a snake looking back at her, just sitting up in the blackberry bush. And um, so finally, I kind of hear her, hear the commotion. She's with our neighbor back there, like, oh man, there's a big old snake. Big old snake, it's probably it's like that. Um, so I'm like, my grandson is three years old. He picks blackberries. I'm not going to leave the snake there. So some of you are going to say, no, you should have felt sorry for the snake. I didn't. I, I wanted to get rid of the snake. So uh, I, uh, my neighbor has a rake, and I get his rake, and I got a shovel. And so I'm going to pull it out of the bushes. Well, uh, this is being recorded, so I want to be careful. My neighbor is not the kind of guy you would think would be scared of snakes, but I need y'all to know when I pulled that thing out, he ran all the way to his front yard. So at this moment, I was not in it with anybody else. It was just me. Now, I do have to tell this. You're going to feel, if y'all want to feel sorry for the snake, go ahead, but I hate snakes. So I took the shovel and I, I did, you know, I did the jab thing, right? And I got him, but I thought, you know what, I got to get it closer to his head. So I pulled it out to jab him again and he scurried off. And so, uh, and so April, my wife, was saying, well, how will we know if he comes back? And I said, well, he'll be the snake that has a limp because that guy at least got a limp. Right. So anyway, I, got, I stabbed him right in the knee. All right. All right. So, okay, um, that's the thing. We're not, uh, we're not in our situations by ourselves. Certainly God is with us. But also, everybody sitting around you is in this with you, okay? You're not alone. Uh, the church, God had a lot of wisdom when he gave us the church. God had a lot of wisdom. It's a great way to live your life and a great way to overcome fear. All right, let's go to a third thing of how to overcome fear. Learn more. Um, I think most of our fear is associated uh, with just unknown. So we just need to be prepared. Uh, that, that helps us overcome fear. Um, you may have noticed, like, when you're going to ride a roller coaster or something, the first ride is the scary one. Once you've done it, you just hop off and, hey, let's do that again. You know, but that first one, you might stare at that thing all day long. I went down to, uh, was it Bush Gardens? It's uh, way down in Tampa, and they got, like, ten roller coasters. It's pretty good. And there was this one roller coaster that was just scaring me the whole day. Like, it's the one I didn't want to ride, but my wife is fearless, and she wants to ride every one of them. 
I got a great bottle of me just just pouring water over the back of my neck because I was just motion sick from all these roller coasters that she made me ride. But there was one called Shikra, I think Shrikra or Shikra, something like that. It was I was scared of it. And I finally wrote it, and once I wrote it, I was like, oh, let's do that again. I can do it again. But the unknown, which is was what was scary. Once it was known, it was not scary anymore. So um, think about that when you're leading a Bible study. If you haven't done it yet, it's probably you're scared about leading a Bible study. But take a buddy with you. And I know some of the studies you guys use are designed to be done that way. So you take your friend with you or, or watch them do it. And then that prepares you to do it. And then uh, it's not so scary anymore. So just uh, equip yourself, study to be prepared, ask a friend to help you, and then just go and do it. I, I don't know if this I guess this is the fourth one. Reflect on God's faithfulness in the past. So I'm 57, so by now I've probably got a million examples of what God brought me through in, in moments of fear where I was initially scared, but then God brought me through it. Um, so we'll, we'll focus kind of on the college years. Where should I go to school? Maybe there's some fear associated with that. Um, what should I major in? That's a fear I think a lot of us have. Because you feel like, well, I've got to pick it right. I'm picking the course of my entire life. I can't miss this, you know. Um, maybe you get to the point where the question becomes, who should I marry? Or is this the person that I should marry? And then once you're married, uh, should we buy a house or we stay in an apartment? These are all scary thoughts. And then the big one, can we afford to have kids? Uh, the answer to most of those is, no, you'll never be able to afford to have kids. Well, at least that one, you won't. Uh, but it shouldn't stop you from having kids. They're, they're an incredible blessing. But the thing is, when you figure out how to give those those fears to God, and you just jump in, He'll walk you through it. And then you have this, when you get older, like myself and some of the other folks in here, you can look back on just a series, a, a, a million testimonies to God's faithfulness in your life. And I bet you can already do that. At whatever age you happen to be, whether it's 18 or whatever, you can look at those moments. You know, for those of you who journal, I don't journal, but I wish I did. Because I think if I did journal, what I would be doing is looking back at every time that God walked me through something I was scared of. So uh, reflect on God's faithfulness in your life. And then I guess my last little tip here is uh, stop worrying about what other people think. I wish I had started with this because I think we could spend more time there. Um, you know, the whole notion of cancel culture, it's based on that idea that you're worried about what other people think because nobody wants to be on the opposing side of an issue. And as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, often we find, our, I find ourselves kind of pushed over to the side. And sometimes it can be a little scary uh, and feel like we're a little bit alone in that. But again, you know you're not. You're all a part of campus ministries. You all have uh, a person to your left and to your right. Uh, you know, discipleship really ultimately is becoming like Jesus. You know, Jesus could have lived a life. Um, and he, I suppose he could have become an old man if he wanted to, but he did not worry what other people thought. He worried what his Father in Heaven thought. You know, Jesus defied the culture of his day by constantly pulling people, inviting them, leading them back into God's story, his protests, like when he turned the tables over in the temple. Stuff like that was never about personal gain. Uh, you need to understand that his desire to live obediently to God, to live inside God's story, it ultimately led him to the cross. Okay? Um, but he is a model of that commitment. If you look at him in the garden, I hate to say that 
I mean, I just don't want to be the one that says, Jesus, God was afraid, because I don't think as God he was afraid, but Jesus was also 100% a human being. And he's looking at the cross, and there is at least anxiety associated with that, because here's the deal. The cross hurt. You know, Jesus didn't do this thing as God and where he felt no pain. He did this thing as a human being, and it hurt a lot. So when he's in the garden, he says, if there's any way to take this cup from me, if there's any other way to make this happen, then take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. I want to live inside God's story. So he models that for us. All right, here's a, I got two little dots and then we're done. Fear is not a sin. You should write that down, I think. Fear is not a sin, but it does steal your dreams and it prevents you from living inside God's story where there is no fear. So acknowledge your fear. Know that you're not alone. We all get anxious sometimes. Um, give your fear to God and then go and live the dream that God has given you. That's it. Thanks, guys.